0: Friends, grace and peace to you in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was a kid, one of my favorite shows on television was a show called Quantum Leap. Anyone ever watch that? It was really cool in the 80s and early 90s. Yeah, it was a show about a guy who could travel through, through time, right? He was a time traveler and would jump all over the place to famous moments in the history of the world and fix things, right? He could right wrongs and, and change the course of history. It was really, really cool, and I think the reason it was so cool is that most of us, have probably fantasized about being able to do some time traveling, right? I mean, who wouldn't want to go back to maybe a time in your own life or a time in the life of the world, in the history of the world, and fix something, right? Change something. Or maybe just go back and and relive a moment or a time that we really enjoyed. Well, if you've ever dreamed about time travel, My guess is that many of you have had a common dream, a common fantasy about time traveling. And that is that many of us would love to go back to Germany in the 1930s when a funny little man with a silly little mustache and a real anger problem was rising to power. I mean, how many folks have have dreamed about what it would have been like, how the world would be so radically different if someone had taken Hitler out before the Holocaust? before the war. And have you ever thought about that? If you've ever thought about that, then you know a little something about the book of Jonah. Now, Jonah is a a very popular book in the Bible. It's especially popular in children's books, usually because of one detail. And what's that? The whale, the big fish, right? Everybody loves the big fish. Now, don't get me wrong, it's a cool detail, it's a funny story, it's a kind of ridiculous but interesting thing to think about. And it occupies about two verses in this whole long book. Uh, To say that the book of Jonah is a story about a big fish is a little bit like saying the Titanic is a really long movie about cold water. It's not an insignificant detail, but it's also not really the point. The book of Jonah is about history, and it's about us. Let me paint the picture for you. We're pretty sure that the book of Jonah, the story, takes place about a hundred years or so before the Assyrian Empire, whose capital city was Nineveh, rose up and utterly destroyed, devastated the kingdom of Israel. This story takes place about a hundred years before the empire of Assyria, whose capital was Nineveh, rose up to destroy the kingdom of Israel. We're pretty sure that the story is told and written down for the first time about a generation or so, give or take, after the kingdom of Assyria, whose capital was Nineveh, rose up and utterly destroyed the kingdom of Israel, God's people. Let that sink in for a moment. Imagine, if you will, huddled with 20 other people around a fire in a refugee camp, several hundred miles away from your home, that no longer stands, because it was bulldozed raised to the ground along with the rest of your city by that evil awful empire and you're hearing a story about a time when god could have wiped them off the face of the earth but instead god showed mercy to the very people who would destroy your home This was God's Hitler moment. If God had ruined the kingdom of Assyria before they got powerful enough to take out Israel, how would history be different? If Jonah had gone to Tarshish and not ended up in Nineveh, and the people had not that day turned around, I mean, most of us have had at least one good day, then maybe the kingdom of Israel would have survived. That's why Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh. Because Jonah knows that God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, which is cool when it's for you. But not for them. And so he runs the other direction. And then there's that whole thing with the boat, and there's the thing with the whale, the fish, and he gets puked back up on the, on the shore after spending three long nights pondering his decisions and doing what any normal person would do when they finally come to the end of their rope, when they've run out of options and can no longer do what they wanted to do. He prays. He prays that super articulate prayer that all of us pray in the long, dark night of the soul. Help a brother out, God. I can't do it. I'm at the end. And it's all you. And so God saves Jonah. And he sends him back in the direction that Jonah was supposed to go. And he finally makes it to Nineveh, the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. And he goes there and he preaches a five-word sermon. You should be so lucky. (laughs) Five words, 40 days, and y'all gonna die. And they listen. And on one good day, their hearts are turned, and God is merciful. And Assyria lives to fight another day. And Jonah is irate he knew this was going to happen he knew that this was God's heart and he didn't want them to live and I don't blame him and so Jonah goes and he sits in the desert and he sticks out his bottom lip and he pouts and he is good at it I know some people who are really good at pouting and he sits down with a big harumph and God looks at him. And you know, sometimes when, I won't name any names, but when people are pouting, they look a little ridiculous and really all he can do is just laugh. So God messes with Jonah a little bit, right? God says, Oh, are you angry? It must be hot out there in the desert. How about a bush? I want a little, I want a little shade, right? So God makes a bush grow up and it gives Jonah shade and and he pulls his lip in a little bit. He was happy about the bush. Not happy enough to thank God or anything, but you know, a little bit cooler. And so then God sends a worm and kills the bush and now it's hot again. And God actually makes a hot wind blow to make it even worse. And now Jonah's angry again, even angrier than he was before. And God says, oh, you angry? Jonah says, yeah angry enough to die. I've heard that one before, too. (laughs) And God says, why? Why are you so angry? And Jonah says, because I knew that you are gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. How Awful. How awful that ours is a God who is gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love for that guy. So Jonah is angry. And I, don't, I think the bush and the worm don't get enough play when we tell this story. And the fish is interesting. But this little scene here out in the desert, it it points us in the direction that this story longs for us to go. And that is that God needs to remind Jonah and us that he too lives and dies by the grace of God alone, just like them that he, too, lives and dies by the grace of God alone. Just like them. Nineveh still exists, by the way. The name has changed, but the very place where Jonah is sent is now a city called Mosul. Perhaps you've heard of it. It is the self-proclaimed capital of the self-proclaimed Islamic State. You know, ISIS? That's what this story is about. This is a story about God showing grace and mercy to them. Now, don't get me wrong. We live in a complicated world where we have to make difficult choices about war and peace and how to vote and what to do with the time that we've been given and how to be safe and merciful and just and how to live to love another day. And none of those choices are simple. And I in no sense want to say that, that we should not fight back against terror in the world or work to protect innocent people from horrible crime. And this might be the perfect time to hear the story of Jonah in your life or the life of the world. Because it is a challenging but hopeful reminder that our lives and the life of the world and every historical moment as grave and great and powerful as it might feel in the moment, all of it is held in hands that are bigger and more gracious than our own. That God has the long view and indeed holds all of history in God's abundantly gracious hands. In a few minutes, we will literally be surrounded by the great cloud of witnesses and the hundreds of names that will Flood this room are just a drop in the ocean of all those who have died in God's grace. And I know because I wrote them down that there are people on that list, names that will evoke this day and will surround us at the table, names of people who died way too soon, who I desperately miss because they had so much more to give, so much more to teach me. And I know that there are names on that list that I'm really not sure I want to sit next to at the heavenly banquet. People who had one job and could not do it. People who struggled to live lives of faith because they were too distracted. Bogged down by demons of addiction. Lives ended far too early. Who could have. Could have done so much more. There are people on that list who perhaps you dearly miss and love and long to be with again. And there might be some folks on that list that, well, we can let them go. But God won't. And God never will. Because God is gracious and merciful slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And that is true for all of those names. It is true for every corner of creation, and it is true throughout all space and time. And it is that grace and that grace alone by which we live or die. And thanks be to God for that. Amen.